All right. Uh, Dr. Owen says this about the beautiful community. The testimony throughout Scripture is that God is one. At the same time, without contradiction, the Scriptures present the mystery of three persons who are God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Fragmentation, division, disharmony, and disunity are our story, are our story but they are not God's. Uh, his is the story of beauty, and it is most profoundly seen in his communal life. Far from a dry, secondary, unimportant technical doctrine, God as Trinity, unity and diversity, diversity and unity, is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. And so again, I, uh, I'm self-editing here. But the, 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 like really, if we want to really backtrack where we get this notion of cross-cultural realities, we can go back to the Trinity. <laughs> uh, we, we only have to go back 2,000 years. We can, we can go back to eternity. The, the triune God is communal. Uh, the reason why we are so relational is because we are made in the image of God, and God is relational. But he's not just relational because he created people to have relationship with. He's relational because he himself, mm-hmm. three persons in one, is, is relating. And there is constant deference and highlighting and honoring and intentionality going on in the Trinity. And so when we say we're in Christ, we get to, be, we get to commune with this cross-cultural relational God. That's constantly doing all this, uh, but the reality is we have the fragmentation, disharmony, and sin that make that hard, and so we idolize our, our cultures. All right, so that's a little bit about that. So thanks, Dr. Ann. So mission. So multi-ethnic cross-cultural mission. Uh, and again, sometimes I say cross-cultural ministries. Sometimes multi-ethnic ministry. I'm okay. Uh, it's not operation. We said that's wrong. Like, it's, 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 I think that that's the long form. So mission. Now, when I think of mission, I think of Habakkuk 2.14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge, the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Like, that is our mission. Uh, our mission is to spread God's glory everywhere. Everywhere. In, in, in all places. Uh, and uh, as, as far as the curse is found. But that comes together with uh, what's called the culture mandate in Genesis 2. Uh, that the Lord, he took the man and put him in the garden uh, to work it and keep it. Depending on your translation, you might see steward it, um, cultivate it, um, work it. I think that's what that says. Um, and so the, the, the culture mandate, which is a, whole, a real theological topic there. That you can really double click on a lot of things there. Uh, that is what is ingrained in people as image bearers. And, and it did not change when the fall happened. So yes, now we're on the other side, and there's thorns and thistles, and there's enmity. There's all these, there's all this strife happening. But how that strife shows up is in our image bearing. We are cultivated. Um, so technology is advancing, community is advancing, clothes and fashion, all these things are advancing. Now we idolize those things. We idolize our phones and all these different things. But uh, we, we, that that notion of cultivation. Is, is still there. And the reason why I got put in our hearts is because he, for whatever reason in his divine sovereignty, he placed the people in the garden and said, I want you to spread my glory from the garden. He didn't actually want them to stay in the garden. Uh, he, he wanted to start in the garden and he wanted his glory to spread across the earth. Uh, and then we kind of messed up his plans, but we didn't change his plans. Uh, that mission is still there. Uh, so when we think about mission, we're thinking about people, we're also thinking about creation, um, but the, the cultural framework of all of that uh, is very clear. Um, and so when we're thinking about uh, cross-cultural mission ministry, we need to understand that cross-cultural 
is missiology, it's not ecclesiology. Well, it's more missiology than it is ecclesiology. What do I mean by these fancy two-dollar words? So cross-cultural ministry is about a mission mindset. Uh, it, it is not about just a church growth exercise. And so a lot of people, they'll come to our church, or they'll come to churches, other churches I've been to that are multi-ethnic, and they'll say, you know, I, I wish there was more multi-ethnic cross-cultural. Like, how, how, how are you guys accomplishing this, right? And it's a great question. I, I, I think it's wonderful. I'm glad it's on people's radar. Um, but it, it, it often is, not always, it often is like, I come to the church on Sunday and I'm looking for this program. Or I come to some of your programs throughout the week and I'm looking for this kind of aspect of the program. And so at its worst, I'm saying that's always the case, but at its worst, I feel like people are approaching it like they approach Walmart. Okay? And when you come to Walmart and you go to the cereal aisle, you're not seeing the Cocoa Puffs. So I'm like, I want to see some Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> so you go to the clerk and say, hey, do you have some Cocoa Puffs in the back? Because I'm not seeing them on the shelf. <laughs> so the clerk will go back into inventory, and, and hopefully they have some Cocoa Puffs because they, they, they fire. And he'll grab the Cocoa Puffs, bring them out to the floor, and put them on the shelf and say, here you go. Here are the Cocoa Puffs. And then you're happy. You grab your Cocoa Puffs, and you check out. Right. And you're excited about your Cocoa Puffs. Uh, and, and you don't see it. And so you're like, okay, I, I need the person that works here to go and get it for me so that I can consume it. Okay? Uh, that's the consumerism that, that is a stronghold on our ecclesiology about how we understand church. Reality is that cross-cultural mission, if you are a Christian, you are called to this. It, it isn't something that the store clerk is going to the back to get and pull out some black people and put it on the shelf. You say, oh, great, I'm at a cross-cultural church now because other people are doing it. Okay. You as a Christian are called to this as a mission. And in a lot of ways, the question about are we cross-cultural is, is the same conversation of are we evangelizing. But a lot of times our, when we don't have a lot of diversity in terms of culture, we also don't have a lot of diversity in terms of worldview. And so a lot of us don't even remember the last time we shared our faith. Right? Let alone have a conversation with a person that is ethnically other. Right? Uh, but that's the challenge. Right? That, that's the challenge of, of being intentional in the world that we live in. Uh, that our sanctuaries are actually reflections of our dinner tables. Like the, the, the church is the summation of the relationships of the people. And so if we are an 85% white church, it's because the relationships of the people in our church are at least 85% white. Right? It's, it's, it's not actually kind of a mysterious disconnect. Like the primary way that people come to any church, any church, is by relationship, being invited. And the secondary is, you know, Googling websites and whatnot. Uh, but the primary way is someone invited them. And so if you're in this mindset of inviting, which is natural, if you, if you love your church, I hope you love your church, uh, you will want to invite people in. Uh, but if your relationships are not intentionally multi-ethnic, when you're doing the good work of inviting people to church, it's going to be predominantly white people that you invite. Right? And so if we're wanting to be a, a more multi-ethnic cross-cultural church, Yes, we need to have some, some thoughts on how we do church. We also need to be thinking about how we are actualizing mission in our lives. Right? That we're not coming and having an experience and then going back to just doing whatever. Right? Um, so yeah, so that's a little bit on mission. Sorry, I found myself preaching a little bit there. Let me, let me, let me get myself together. All right. Um, so... Uh, 
other thing. So we are meaning makers, uh, therefore we are culture makers. Uh, so keep that in mind. And good missiology leads to good doxology. So again, whether ecclesiology, doxology, or missiology at all, it needs to go back to doxology. Why are we doing this? For the glory of God. Why are we being intentional about our relationships? Ultimately, it's for the glory of God. All right, so that's mission. And again, going back to, to Matthew 18, or Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. This, this is the great commission. This is the, the missional call. Uh, and it was, it was very tangibly uh, multi-ethnic in its call. All right. Uh, so let me just share a little bit more, drill down for our church. So uh, about a year ago, the leadership of the church went through what's called a CQ assessment. So CQ, uh, which is shorthand for cultural intelligence, but there's actual organization a global network organization that does cultural assessment uh, and training. Uh, and all of our leaders went through this assessment. We had someone come uh, and do some training with us. And they talked about CQ, or cultural intelligence, in four uh, broad categories. So there's drive, knowledge, strategy, and action. So again, this is, we're talking about the what here. So we're talking about what, what does it look like uh, and, and kind of making it more practical. Uh, so we're thinking about drive, level of interest, persistence and confidence during multicultural interactions. Knowledge, understanding about how cultures are similar and different. Uh, awareness, uh, strategy, awareness and ability to plan for multicultural interactions. And then four, uh, action, ability to adapt when relating and working in multicultural contexts. Right? And so <clears throat> in terms of like growing and being cross-cultural, like all four of these things need to kind of be operating. And we were all assessed on where, where there was high, you know, all this and that. And, and the assessor, I was very thankful. He thought we were above average, but definitely told us about some growth areas uh, that we have. Uh, but I say, you know, for you, and we don't have to have a discussion about this, but uh, when, you, when you see these four things, or where in your life you feel like uh, there's some particular growth that you need. Uh, Christ Central tends to not have an issue with drive. That is, that is a challenge, but it tends not to have an issue with drive. And some of that is, is Durham. Uh, uh, but there, there's often a lot of struggle with strategy um, and, and knowledge and action. <laughs> all the things, really. Uh, we, we all struggle with all the things. Uh, and so when we're talking about how, how am I growing in this, uh, maybe these are kind of buckets where you can be thinking. Um, and uh, for, from my experience, my, in terms of like broad, predominantly white churches, uh, if there is an encouraging step, it's like drive to knowledge and then that's it. Uh, so a church will, will, ha- will have a thing, and it will introduce a book club. So we're, we're going to read this book, uh, and then there's nothing after that in terms of wh- how do we then move what we've gained here towards how we're doing ministry and then actually execute it and adapt as we fail and as we're growing, as we're learning new things. Um, all of that is, is a challenge, and we need to make room for all of that. Okay? Those are four broad categories I think are really helpful. Right? <clears throat> so where does this land if we do all four of these things? Uh, when, when I hear uh, the, the, the tangibles of multi-ethnic cross-cultural ministry, uh, these are things that I feel like are, are actualized in that. Uh, gospel unity, justice and reconciliation, and, and intentional spiritual formation. So intentional spiritual formation, I have a bias because I'm the formations pastor, but I think intentional spiritual formation is actually very critical. That, that it is an ongoing shaping and forming by how you understand your culture, how you understand other culture, how you understand the culture of Durham. Uh, that, should be, that should be ongoing and, and tethering uh, to your understanding of the gospel. Um, 
And so we are intentional about having these different programmatic things throughout the year, but certainly they are not sufficient. In your own life, there needs to be some things. And I don't know how many of you have experienced being discipled or mentored, um, but a lot of times, again, this is an epilogue or an appendix, and it's not actually integral to how we understand the beauty of the gospel. Um, and that's a, that's a shortcoming. It should always be part of the discussion, part of our, of our formation and shaping. Uh, gospel unity. <clears throat> um, so again, Ephesians uh, 3, uh, Ephesians 4 calls us to make every effort to get the unity of the Spirit. Uh, y'all, y'all ever play on the merry-go-round? Y'all know, y'all know what a merry-go-round is? Um, I had to look it up. So what do you call that thing that goes around in, in the park? Uh, and it's the merry-go-round. I said, no. I was in the carousel. Um, so I, I played with the merry-go-round. I had some fond memories of that. But if the merry-go-round, you hold on to the bars, and you have fun jumping all around. And then somebody, usually somebody with some strength, uh, will, will start running and kind of moving the, the merry-go-round around and go really fast, really fast, really fast. And there's always an annoying kid that keeps their legs off the merry-go-round. Like kicking the dirt and making the merry-go-round go slow. Um, or there's another kid that's standing up and they say, how long can I stand and not fall and bust my head? Uh, but the faster you go, uh, you, all the kids, they know, okay, we don't really stay safe. We need to sit down, hold on to the bars, uh, and, and, and cling for dear life because uh, it's going really fast and it's fun. Uh, the, the, the struggle I see in like moments like 2020 uh, is, that, is that 2020 really spun the merry-go-round. Uh, and not everybody was actually holding on together. Uh, and, and we didn't actually know how much not everybody was holding on together until it got really fast and really hectic. Uh, and there's a goodness, but also like a, a fear, like we're in 2022, and I feel like in some ways, the merry-go-round has slowed down. Uh, if there's another shooting, maybe it'll speed back up again. Uh, the next election cycle, Christ have mercy. <laughs> right. um, and the merry go is gonna go really fast again. And, and when, I, when I think about gospel unity, gospel unity is I am I'm clinging to the gospel for dear life with other brothers and sisters, so that when it gets fast, when it gets hectic, I'm not jumping off. I'm not jumping off, and also, I'm not having my legs hanging all over the place and trying to, trying to slow the thing down, because it's gonna actually hurt me. I don't need to actually worry about how fast the merry go is going. I need to cling on together with my brothers and sisters for dear life, right? And so I say gospel unity intentionally, because you can be unified and not be unified around the gospel, right? Now, the KKK was very unified. Right? When you're unified, you are one, you are together. Uh, and, and unity uh, is actually divisive. People often put it against each other. It's like, oh, don't be divisive, just be unified, as though those are the either or. Uh, but unity is divisive, and so is the gospel. Uh, the, the gospel it divides against sin, it divides against hate. Uh, we, we can't actually be unified with hate, not well. Um, and the same with unity. So what are we actually clinging to and holding on for dear life when the merry-go-round goes? I want us to be holding on to the gospel because uh, it is sure, it is solid, it will never leave us, never forsake us in the Lord. Um, but we don't always cling to it as we should. Uh, and, and I think the moments like 2020, we, we, should, we should not dismiss all the things that were revealed in that season because uh, it was revealed. It wasn't created. It was revealed more so. 
uh, and it's still there. And, and, and the reason why uh, you know, I'm not jaded and bitter and whatnot is because I, like, I, I knew it was there. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm, tr I'm trying to constantly be formed and knowing that it's there. Uh, and the, the latest blog is not, not going to convince me uh, of where things have changed. Like, it's, it's there. Uh, and I believe it's there because the gospel says it's there. It says it's there. At any given moment, no matter how progress, thank God for Barack Obama, but there's always sin. There's always the need for the gospel in all areas of life. Right? And so that should actually sober us and humble us. That this work preceded us and this work is actually going to last beyond us. Because sin is going to last beyond us. Unless Jesus comes back, please have, have mercy, Lord. Um, and then justice and reconciliation. So let me, let me say something just quickly there. That if you're, if you're really digging into multi-ethnic cross-cultural realities, you, you are also entering into the brokenness that is a feature of these different cultures. And, and justice becomes a buzzword, but justice is merely about doing right. Uh, then in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word for justice and the word for righteousness are actually the same thing. That when you're pursuing justice, you're actually pursuing righteousness. Those things should be happening together, uh, which is really important. Because not all of our friends who are outside the church actually mean the same thing when they say we should be pursuing justice. Okay? I'm self-edited here. <laughs> uh, and then reconciliation. So there's a lot of uh, badges about reconciliation. Some people want to say, don't say reconciliation, say conciliation. Because we ain't never been reconciliation. We ain't, ain't never been together. Uh, and it's true, this country has never been together. So I sympathize with the conciliation movement. But for Christians, there was a time when we were connected. Uh, but it didn't start with uh, the nation started with the Trinity, and it started with the Garden, uh, and then sin broke us apart. And so the Ministry of Reconciliation uh, has righteousness components and justice components that are embodied, right? And so we need to be pursuing that uh, constantly. And so what that could look like, uh, so let me just add a little uh, frustration to this. So uh, Barna did a survey uh, last year and asked these questions to see how many people agreed. So historically, the, the United States has been oppressive to minorities and the percentage of people that, that agreed. So 38% of white people agreed, 79% of black people agreed, 48% of Hispanics agreed, and 38% of Asians agreed. Uh, do you think our country has a race problem? 34% of whites said no. 81% um, of blacks said yes. Oh, 34% said yes, sorry. 34% said yes, 81% uh, of blacks said yes, 55% of Hispanics said yes, 39% of Asians said yes, right? Um, can you imagine th these demographics coming to be at one church? Can, can you imagine the conversations that could be had around the dinner table? Right? Um, and, and I think it's an important question to, to say, like, wh what are you willing to believe when you're engaging the ethnically other? Um, I, I think, I think if, if Barnes surveyed Durham, these numbers would be quite different. But uh, I do think that they, they do reflect something that's really significant. Uh, then when we're talking about racism, we're talking about justice, uh, a lot of the strife is that we, we just don't see it the same way. And we live in a culture that says, your truth is your truth, and you should be able to live your truth. So if my truth is there is no race problem, and you come to me and say, there is absolutely a race problem. What, what then do we talk about is true? And what are the grounds for talking about what is true? Right? Uh, in the church, that shouldn't be a hard conversation. Truth is actually a prescription. Uh, and, and sin is as well. 
And so what are you willing to believe when you're engaging with the other? You, you, we cannot talk about just bringing folks together and ignore uh, the, the systemic sin that have, has impacted these people. And he, he, hear me when I say, I, I believe that people are sinful. I hope you agree, especially if you remember this church. I believe that the Bible teaches that people are sinful. I believe that individuals have sin, and at any given moment of their lives, they are in need of the grace of God because sin is there. And I also believe that when an individual gets with another individual and those two individuals get together with a group of individuals, that that group is as sinful as the individuals that make it up. Okay? And I feel like that shouldn't be a hard leap. Uh, and then when that group of individuals who are as sinful as the individuals that make it up start making decisions for other groups, I believe that the sin actually permeates their decision-making process. I thought that shouldn't be a hard leap. But then when you talk about this group and say, that's Congress. No, there's no systemic issue. That, that, that's school boards. No, no, no. There's, there's just despair. There's no discrimination. Uh, that, that just does not compute for me. Right? Uh, I believe the Bible clearly teaches that groups are as sinful as the individuals that make them up. And so the decisions of individuals and groups are going to be as sinful in need of the grace of God. And so when, those, and so when the ripple effects of those sinful decisions are made, or are happening, we talk about justice and reconciliation and righteousness, it does not just address the individual. It addresses as far as the curse is found, individuals and groups. So that, that needs to be part of our vernacular and understanding when we're saying we're, we're trying to do gospel ministry. All right. <clears throat> All right. I need to finish up here. Uh, so I'll categorize this in terms of equ- pursuing equality versus equity. So I, I took this diagram from Duke Kwan, who's a pastor in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, Grace Meridian Church. Uh, and, he, and he feels like when we're when pursuing and uh, when we're actualizing justice, reconciliation, all these different things, we need to have an, an equity mindset over an equality mindset. So an equality mindset is, let me, let's meet in the middle. Right? So I'm giving equal effort in all the directions, and I feel good about that. Uh, but, but an equity mindset says, I'll make room for you. I will do what is necessary for you to have room here. Because in a group, not, not everybody feels equally unwelcome. Right? Uh, sociologists call that salience. Uh, when, when we feel like we're in the minority, if I, if I walked into a room of women, I would be very aware of my maleness. Right? If, I, if I walked into a room of people wearing suits and gowns, and I was wearing pajamas, I would all of a sudden be very aware of my pajamas. And I would, in some intuitive sense, feel like I, I don't belong here. I need to go home and put on my suit and tie. Right? Um, and so similarly, we, we might not be doing anything actually aggressive at our church, but, uh, but, but I have felt it being a doggone pastor here and, and, and folks that have visited, they'll walk into our church, uh, black or Asian, other, and, and they will all of a sudden feel very black walking into our church. And they'll sit in the back or they'll sit in the balcony and, and they will question the entire service. Am I really welcome here? And then the service will end and everybody's looking for their most familiar person to catch up on the week, and this person who has no friend, no frame of reference, they, they are waiting for someone to say hi, waiting for someone to combat the, the internal dialogue of, am I welcome here? Will somebody say something to them? 
Or, or will they, as they go to the parking lot, walk past this group of white people talking to each other, this group of white people talking to each other, having to kind of, you know, the sidewalk be tripping uh, at that door. So we meandering around folks, you know, trying to play this, this game of go-karts. Uh, and, and all along, from, from the balcony to the parking lot, there's feeling this affirmation over and over again, I am not welcome here. And you might have not done anything aggressive. You might not have done anything that's antagonistic. But when someone comes into a room and they're the minority, they feel very salient, they feel very aware of their difference, and immediately, instinctively, they start questioning, is there a place for me here? And I would love for us in an equity mindset to have our radar up, in general, for newcomers, which can be really hard in this season because we're always having newcomers, uh, but in, in, this, in this conversation, to have our radars up to be pursuing the person that comes in and is undoubtedly, in my mind, and maybe not always, but undoubtedly in my mind, they're questioning, it, do I really have a place here? Does that make sense? So it's not just this kind of circle of equal effort. They're saying, I, I don't need to put as much effort to convince a white person that they're welcome here as a black person. And so I, I have it on my radar to be very intentional about how do I communicate welcome. Uh, and it's not as simple as, hey, you're welcome here. All right. Couple more slides. <clears throat> so cross-cultural uh, multi-ethnic ministry in action. Can somebody read Acts chapter six, verse one through six? So uh, you know, for, for those of you that are, that are more church, this is the passage in the book of Acts where we see the institution of, of deacons, at least formally. Uh, and there's an issue arising between Hellenists and Hebrews. Uh, and, and the church was growing. The church was communing. The church was multi-ethnic. It was, it was, it was cross-cultural, at least pursuing that. And naturally, uh, the biases, the ethnic biases and the cultural biases were coming out in ministry. Uh, and, and people came to the disciples, the leaders, and say, hey, we have widows here. Uh, and, and some of the widows are receiving some love that other widows are not. And, and, and we need to figure out how to equitably uh, help uh, our widows that are being marginalized in this process. The disciples did not say, just preach the gospel. Uh, the, the disciples didn't say, well, just pray about it. The disciples took action. They say, we need to actually make steps towards this, to correct this. There's an injustice here. Uh, and we're not going to shame anyone. Uh, we're, we're, we're going to believe the people when they say there's an issue here, and we will consider what it means to make steps. Even if we are not the actual ones doing it, we will take some time to give it attention and figure out how we can address it. And they commission or they ordain uh, deacons, and the names should indicate to you 
that these deacons are from the Hellenistic community. So there rose up people that understood the cultural framework that was leading to this, this issue. And what I really love, where is it? I was going to highlight it, but I didn't want to take away from the whole passage. Um, verse, uh, oh, I got to read it. We'll pick out from yourselves, but we will devote ourselves to prayer. Oh, here we go. Uh, <clears throat> right, right, right here. And, 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 what they, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. A complaint rose. The disciples believed them. They took attention. They were intentional about raising up multi-ethnic leadership to address the cultural realities that were real and true. And the whole group were like, thank God. They were excited about the intentionality of multi-ethnic cross-cultural mission. They didn't say, oh, I don't know, this might be reverse discrimination. Why, 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 why are, we, are, we just to, are we just doing affirmative action? Why, why do we have to do? Maybe, maybe we need to form a committee and, and, and study this before we actually address this. I don't know. I don't know if I see it right. Maybe there's another. Uh, uh, it wasn't all that. The, the whole group, Hebrews and Hellenists. And the Hellenists could have been just like, see, y'all Hebrews, y'all, y'all ain't really about this life. Y'all ain't really about this cross-cultural life. Y'all don't really care about us. This tokenizing. Y'all don't really care. No, the whole group, they chose to believe the best in each other. I believe that the gospel was moving them towards each other. And when the inevitable sin and issues came up, they rejoiced at the steps that were taken. And, and do you think that there still might have been some issues with the widows after this? I think so. I think even still, there were probably some cultural biases that were leading to the widows not being cared for as well. But there were people in place to check it and engage it and to bring joy in addressing it. Right? That's a beautiful example of what I wish was truer and truer of our church. All churches, but I'm here. Right? Um, so the, the birth of deacons is because of a, a desire towards a multi-ethnic cross-cultural church. So last, last thing I'll say. So this is a little timeline of our nation's history, 1619 to 2022. Uh, this bar is the years of slavery. This bar is the years of segregation. And this bar is the years of, quote unquote, freedom. And this, this timeline is particular for, uh, for black Americans, but uh, we know if we read history that white supremacy was in all directions, uh, in, in all ways. Um, that's the nature of being systemic. Um, and I put this up because, again, I, Hope, I hope you hear me when I say this, that when people come to me and they come and they are frustrated with our church, that we are not more multi-ethnic and not more cross-cultural, and they start questioning if we're really about this, which is fair. It is valid to question that. And I, and I love when people email me. I love when I get to sit down and have coffee with folks. That the harder meetings is when people have already made up their mind that, that we, we don't really care, we can't really do this. Uh, and they're just waiting for confirmation. Uh, wh- whenever I have that, that dialogue, though, I, I really this this timeline comes to mind. This diagram comes to mind uh, because our church is eight years old. And I don't know if you saw this, this little tiny symbol here. That that's the symbol for our church. So on this whole timeline of hundreds. 
hundreds of years, we've been in existence for eight. And then people wonder, why are y'all not more multi-ethnic? That is a valid question. That is a valid question. I hope that question comes up more and more. I hope it comes up in your homes and in your city groups and in these various ministries. I hope that that question is always on the table. Uh, But if there's a suspicion in this question, which again is valid, it is valid to be suspicious. Uh, I I just really want us to have some perspective here. There, there is a lot of dysfunction in what we're pursuing. We are not doing it perfectly. We're, we're not even doing it well, but we're doing it because we believe that the gospel calls us to do it. And we're excited to do it because the gospel calls us to do it. We're rejoicing in the steps that we have made, and we need far more steps. Uh, but I am convinced that this work is going to outlast us. When, when I talk to folks that have experienced trauma in their lives, like severe wrongdoing, sometimes it's once, sometimes it's chronic. I don't look at them and say, that was, that was 10 years ago. You still upset about that? that? That was in your childhood. You're an adult. You're still worried. Why can't you move on? Why don't you put on a, a, a smile, put on a brighter side of life? I don't do that because I know that when you experience a trauma, when you experience severe wrongdoing, there are ripple effects that are ongoing. That there's an inertia that happens when we experience trauma, when we experience wrongdoing, when we have dehumanization happen to us. Imagine what that could look like for a whole people. Being dehumanized for centuries. My dad, my father, who's still alive, just talked to him yesterday, he graduated from a segregated high school. He has fond memories of whites only, colors only, water fountains, restaurants, all of that. I, I have fond memories of talking to men in my church, deacons and others, that can recall their cousin or their uncle being lynched and retrieving the body. Why are we not more multi-ethnic? Because we need the gospel. And the gospel is working in us. And yes, I would love it to be a lot faster. I sure would. But I would love all of my sanctification to be a lot faster. <laughs> it's it so annoying how sinful I am. <laughs> and yet I don't throw my hands up and say, well, I'm just going to give up on this Christian life because I just keep on sinning. Golly. I, I actually trust that the Holy Spirit is, is doing his work in his time. And, and I believe that's the same thing for multi-ethnic cross-cultural ministry. 